turn with me to Psalm 119, starting in the very, we're only going to read the first verse, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the, the longest chapter in the Bible. Fortunately, today we will only look at the very first verse. <clears throat> when you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord, that stands on the word of God foundationally. Lord, this morning as, as we recognize our graduates and, and we speak to them, Lord, help us not to forget that uh, your word is, is important for all of us. Lord, that we can't just tune it out because we're not a graduate today. But Lord, I pray that you would convict each one of us. I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. Lord, I pray that your hand be upon these graduates. Lord, as they leave and they go off to college, Lord, as, as they're taking different paths, Father, I pray that they would walk beside you. Lord, I pray that you would convict them. Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that continues to support them and love them. Father, they're graduating high school, but they're never to graduate from the church. So, Lord, I pray a special blessing for them today and for their families. Father, I thank you for your word, for this church, for what it represents. And, Lord, I just pray that you be with us today. We love you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, like I was saying, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the book. We are, we are going to look at the, verse, the first verse here, but we will also be moving around quite a bit so keep those pages a little, little limber there. We'll be moving around. Pole Creek has been my home since 2009. In 2017, I had the opportunity to come on full-time as student pastor. And at, this time, at that time, like I was showing you a minute ago, this group was just in middle school. I, it genuinely feels like it was just yesterday in many ways. I was just visiting the halls of Inca Middle School with this group, going to FCA, going to Campus Life, yeah, going to the lunches with them and spending time with them, it, it just, I know this is said often, but time really does fly by. And I'm so thankful that they have continued the path all the way through. And like I said, now they are leaders in their high school. I just had someone ask me the other day, they said, you've been student pastor here at Pole Creek, what, to about two years now? And I said, no. I said, believe it or not, it's going on five. They said, there's no way. I said, yeah, I can't, I can't believe it either. Time really does go by so quickly. So graduation services are services in which we honor our graduates and we speak to them directly. However, I want to be perfectly clear that just because we're speaking to them this morning doesn't mean you can just tune it out and say, I don't need to listen. He's speaking to the graduates. This could be the most elementary service you've ever heard and Lord could still convict you. Every year around this time, it is inevitable that I feel some inadequacies. I look at this group of seniors, and I think about all the memories, I think about all the conversations, some serious, some not so serious. I think about all the fun we've had. I think about all that we got to do. I think about all the times I got to stand in front of them and lead a devotional, or preach to them, or talk to them in some capacity. I think about all the trips we took, the relationships we have built, it's been unique because through the years, these students, like I mentioned earlier, have become part of my family. 
But I look back on all those pictures, and I can't believe in such a short time we've went from young children to young adults. It's certainly bittersweet. At the same time, I talk about those inadequacies. I can't help but think if I failed them. Have I helped to prepare them? Have I done a good enough job of pointing them to Christ? Have I said everything I wanted to say to them? Did I convey the truth of Scripture well enough? Did they understand that I have loved them and cared for them the absolute best way I knew how? I sure hope so. I realize that that responsibility doesn't fall solely on me, but as their student pastor, I certainly play a big role in that, and I have a lot of responsibility in that. So the weight of a service like this is very heavy. Graduation services are a day I take very seriously. For some of those seniors here, they will be leaving, whether it's off to college or or somewhere else, or maybe they're even unaware, and this could be the last time that I get to speak to them directly, face-to-face. Perhaps they go and move across the country. I don't know. As a pastor, we should always preach as though it will be the last time we ever step in the pulpit. But for Graduation Sunday, it's just a little bit more prevalent in my mind. For that reason, this morning we are going to look at some questions these graduates need to ask themselves. And perhaps the rest of us need to ask ourselves as well. Life is full of questions. For every single one of us, life is full of questions. No different for these graduates. Right now, there's a flurry of questions going through their mind. Will I go to college? What college will I go to? Did I make the right choice concerning college? What will I do with my life? Where will I work? Who will I marry? Where will I live? How in the world am I going to afford gas? Because there are so many questions that need to be asked and answered, I have titled today's sermon, Questions to Ask. There are several questions this morning I'm going to ask each one of you to ask yourselves. That pertains to the rest of you as well. The first question I'm going to ask you this morning is, what do I believe? I want you to ask yourself this. What do I believe about the need for a Christian community? We are all aware of the statistics surrounding uh, graduates leaving high school, many of which who never returned to church. Those, those stats are well documented. I've mentioned them many times from this pulpit. I'm not going to dive too deeply into that. My hope and prayer for each one of you is that you ask yourself this question and give yourself an honest answer. What do you believe about the need for a Christian community? For starters, just like Psalm 119 mentions, how happy are those who walk according to the Lord's instruction? Being involved in a church community will help you walk according to the Lord's instruction. It is vital to stay connected to a body of believers. You need encouragement. You need support. You need prayer. You need guidance. Other believers will help you get some perspective on some things you may not have thought of. We fail to realize sometimes what a blessing a church like Pole Creek is. I think we fail to realize what a blessing story like a church like Pole Creek is. I'm going to share a story with you really quickly of a pastor who went to China, and he visited with, with 22. You can find this story online in more depth, but I, I want to share this with you because I think it's so important. pastor travels to China, and he meets with 22 leaders over there. And as he's standing in front of these leaders, he asks them, he says, what will happen to, to us if we're caught? Because, you know, China's a, a country where they don't worship freely. They face a lot of persecution. And he said, they said, well, you'll be deported with, pretty quickly within 24 hours, and we'll go to prison. 
And he said, well, I'm just curious, how many of you all have been to prison before? 18 of the 22 raised their hand of having been in prison before for their faith. So as he's talking to them, he, had, he, he continues on, and he, gives, he has 15 Bibles with him. And he passes out the Bibles. Of course, seven people don't get them. And they turn to a passage, I think it was in 1 Peter, and they begin reading. And as, he, as they start, he notices that one of the women take their Bible and, and gives it away. But she still speaks the word. She still knows it. So afterwards, they come to a break. He goes up to her. He says, I couldn't help but notice that you had given your Bible away and that you still recited the word. She said, oh, yeah. She said, I've memorized that entire book of the Bible. He said, where'd you learn how to do it? She said, in prison. And he said, well, they confiscate the Bibles, right? You don't get to have Bibles. She said, that's right. She said, they confiscate the Bibles. We don't get to have them. She said, but what people do is they will write them down on sheets of paper very quickly so we can pass them around. She said, they'll confiscate those too. She said, they can take the Bibles and they can take the pieces of paper. She said, but they can't take what's written down on our heart. So they continue on and they, they meet with these, he meets with these individuals for the next few days. It was a three-day trip. And it's just like, our relationship here. We, we, they build relationships. It's, it's sad to see people come and go. So at the end of that time, he asks them, he says, how can I be praying for you? So he's getting ready to return to the States. He said, how can I pray for you? And they said, would you please pray that we can be just like you? We want to worship freely and be just like you. Well, he thought about it for a minute and he said, no. He said, I will not pray for that. Well, naturally, they were a little taken back. And they said, well, why in the world would you not pray that for us? He responded and he said, during my three-day visit, you rode a train for over 13 hours to meet with me. We won't travel more than 15 or 20 minutes in my country most of the time to go to church. During my three days, you have sat on a hard wooden floor, he said. In my country, if people have to sit for more than about 40 minutes, they won't return. You sat here not only for three days, but you sat here in a hot building with no air conditioning. In my country, if it's not nice padded seats and the optimum temperature, people won't show up. In my country, we have Bibles everywhere, and we hardly ever read them. In your country, you're having to write passages of scriptures on a sheet of paper and memorize them in prison. He said, I will not pray that you become like us. He said, but I will certainly pray that we become like you. What a convicting story. That's a convicting story right there. We certainly have no reason to not be involved in church. The freedom to worship, numerous resources available to us to grow, yet the vast majority of self-proclaiming Christians find many reasons not to come. We could take a lesson from those who follow Christ in China. Studies have shown for years that when a church reaches 80% capacity to a visitor, it looks to be 100% full. And we, because of that, we're, I mean, look around. We're, we're at that point right now. We've been meeting and having some conversations on going to two services. But my prayer for this church is if we were to bust at the seams before that time, that we'd be willing to come and sit on the floor just to be a part. Seniors, I don't want you to just go to church. I want you to be involved in church. I want you to serve others within the church. I want you to reach others for Christ within the church. I want you to serve the church with your gifts, time, and money. You each have gifts. You say, well, I don't know what my gifts are. Find out what your gifts are and use them to reach others. 
You each have gifts, I've seen them, that were given to you from the Holy Spirit when you became a believer in Christ, and they are to be used for the upbuilding of the church. We have gotten to a point in our society where even people who profess Christ to the lost don't really go to church very often. They come when it's convenient. They come if they don't have anything else to do. They come if they feel like getting up and going. Go to church. Get involved in church. Be there. Give to your local church. I, I, I know this is not a message on giving. We've got a very good giving church. But give to your local church. And you say, people, you know, <clears throat> people a lot of times, they, they, they have their hand out for your money, don't they? That's not the reason you give to your local church. The Lord owns every single bit of it. Listen to me, most of you are not working. No, nobody here expects high school students to fund a church budget. They don't. Your job right now is to be a student. But while we're on this topic, did you know that you're not required to give 10%? Did y'all know that? The tithe is 10%. That was commanded in the Old Testament. You are not required to give 10%. You're required to live sacrificially. And I want to make something perfectly clear here. You all, as you go on, some of you may go on to be unbelievably successful. The Lord may bless you financially over and above what you ever dreamed of. And giving sacrificially might be 30%. Giving sacrificially also might be $10 a month. I think about the, the widow who is at home and <clears throat> she gets a Social Security disability check. You know, those checks don't rise with the rates of inflation. Those checks don't change, but yet she's faithful to give. She's giving sacrificially to her church. Continue to give so that the next group behind you can benefit as you, you all have. You all have been, been benefactors of a giving church. Every meal we've shared, every trip we've taken that the church has funded, everything that we've done, we've been benefactors of that. Give to your local church so that the next generation can be those same benefactors and perhaps maybe even your own children. Furthermore, <clears throat> um, we need to be in that habit. We need to be in that habit of giving to our local church. The next question I want us to look at this morning is do we trust the word of God? I know, I know we're running short on time. I'll, get, I'll pick it up here in just a second, okay? Do you trust the word of God? Chances are if you do not, then you are not happy biblically according to Psalm 119. As you leave home and enter the workforce and start a college career, you will face obstacles and challenges. That's not meant to scare you. That's just the, the reality of life. The same question could be asked this way. I want you to hear this. Will you allow your experience your experiences to shape what you believe about the Word of God? Or will you allow the Word of God to shape what you believe about your experiences? Ladies and gentlemen, the truth absolutely exists. The law of logic tells us this. You and I cannot communicate without the laws of logic or the laws of non-contradiction, which is the same thing. If I stood up here today and I told you in perfect English that I couldn't speak a word in English, you look at me like I was crazy. The law of non-contradiction, laws of logic, say that a truth claim and its denial cannot both be true in the same sense. In the words of Frank Turek, this is another example in his words, he said, if someone says it's absolutely true that there's no such thing as absolute truth, that's a, that's a self-defeating claim. There is a, there's an, a ton of scripture that points to Jesus being God, and I want to point out a couple 
Because God is the truth. I've told you all that many, many, many times. In John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was claiming in that statement to be God. In John 10, verse 30, he says, uh, Jesus makes another claim about God being God when he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is making these truth claims. If Christ was telling the truth and the evidence overwhelmingly supports that he was and he is, he is God, then the Bible doesn't just contain truth, but it's the embodiment of truth. As with any text we read, we have to dive in and see if the evidence supports the claims that it's making. God in his character cannot lie. He has made promises to each one of you as his children. You can trust based on the authority of his word that he's telling you the truth. You can trust him even when you don't understand it. We just sang about that a little while ago. You can trust him when you don't see an end in sight. You can trust him when you feel like the weight of the world is coming against you. Sometimes he reveals to you how it all plays out. <clears throat> I can think of times over the course of my life, as I look back, how God has worked, how God has shaped. Undoubtedly, I can see how God has done those things. Sometimes he doesn't reveal those things to us. Trust in God and give him the glory, even when things aren't going well. We are so bad to give God lip service. We're so bad to give God lip service. For those of us who know the Lord and have a relationship with him, we are sometimes guilty of saying we trust God and we pray to him. In the back of our mind, we think, well, God can't really handle that. Or God doesn't really care about that the same way I do. We don't really trust God. We call ourselves his children, and sometimes we don't trust him. I want to ask you this for those of you who have children in here. Do you all want your children worried about things that are yours to worry about. Do you want your children going to school and thinking, you know what, I wonder if mom's going to feed me today. I, I, your children goes, go to school and they say, I wonder if mom and dad are going are to make enough money to support us this week. You don't want your children worrying about that. In the same way, God doesn't worry, want us worrying about things that are promises that he's already made to us. You can trust God in the small things and you can trust him with the large things. I promise you that. Even when you may not necessarily feel his presence. Could it be that when God seems distant and when we don't think we're hearing from him and we just can't shake that feeling that God is receiving greater glory if we remain solid and unwavering in our faith? Seniors, listen to me. Throughout the course of your college years and into adulthood and beyond, There will be times when God feels close, and there will be God, times when God feels distant. Trust in him anyway. I promise you, based on God's promises, never to leave or forsake you, that he's there. You can trust God. There are many other important questions to ask, and I'm cutting some things out that I really want you to hear, and, I, and you will hear from me. But I want to close with this. I want to ask you to ask yourself the most important question of all. Did you know the most important question of all is not whether or not you know Jesus? It's not do you know Jesus. The most important question of all is, in the words of Paul Washer, does Jesus know you? That's the question I want you to ask yourself today is does Jesus know you? There are many passages of Scripture that I struggle to read. And what I mean by that is there are passages of Scripture that are just difficult. Some that contend with our Western way of thinking. And when we read passages like that, 
It's not for us to change Scripture. It's for us to change our way of thinking. So turn with me really quickly to Matthew chapter 7. I want you to take a look at something. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What a sad day that will be. Now, don't misunderstand this verse. If you have a relationship with Christ, you are saved. That is the promise of Scripture. This verse is a warning to those who only pay lip service to Christ. This is a warning to those who, they may come to church. They may be faithful churchgoers. They may give to their local church. But they don't really believe in the power of God. They don't have a relationship with God. They're just giving him lip service. They speak and say things of Jesus, but they don't really mean it. They believe there is value alone in the words alone. These are people who utter the name of Jesus, but they don't believe in his power. They don't believe in him. They don't have a relationship with him. There's a scholar who says this, and I think this is so good. It says, there are those who speak like angels, yet live like devils. Those who have Jacob's smooth tongue, but Esau's rough hands. There are those of you in here today, and I'm not just speaking to the seniors right now. There are some of this in this room that are, that are guilty of just paying lip service to the Lord. We, we come to church. We show up for the events. We show up if it's not an inconvenience or when it doesn't come into conflict with something else that we deem more fun or more interesting. From the outside looking in, we may look like the perfect follower of Christ. But perhaps if we were to meet Jesus right this second, he would say, depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's a sobering thought. Fortunately, everyone here today and everyone watching online can enter into a relationship with Christ. Although we didn't spend much time here today, I want to end with this. In Psalm 119, verse 1, it says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. There's a difference between happiness and joy. There's a difference between being blameless and sinless. Ideally, we wouldn't sin, but we're fallen humans and we will sin. That's not the ultimate goal of the Christian walk. Not sinning is not the ultimate goal of the Christian walk. We can become too legalistic and too focused on that sometimes, and it leads to condemnation. It leads to us uh, becoming too legalistic and leads to condemnation. Being called to live blamelessly is what we are called to do. Being called to live blamelessly is the same thing as living above reproach. I want you to hear this. Being blameless is mentioned 99 times in the Bible. And it does mean different things in different instances, but the main thing it is referring to is how someone lives their life. They are not guilty of living a life of constant wrongdoing. They are committed to avoiding temptation. They've committed nothing of any ill intent. And furthermore, we are blameless as believers because of Christ and what he did for us on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ took our blame, took our guilt. To you seniors, I have so thoroughly enjoyed the time we have spent together. 
I love each and every one of you, and, and it's just, it's sad for me, really, to, to speak to you, to see you mature, but I'm excited for you, too, because this is part of life. Graduate, go to college, or you go join the workforce, or maybe you haven't even decided what you're going to do yet, but my prayer for each one of you is that you will continue serving the Lord. You all have heard the truth repeatedly for five years that I know of. It's up to you now. It's up to you when you leave here, what you do, how you serve the Lord, how you honor him. But I pray that you know that you have a church here who loves you. A church that's not going to leave you. A church that's going to continue to pour truth into your life. A church that will continue to support you. A church that's here for you. As long as I'm living, I can, I can attest to that as well. I love each one of y'all. So I'm going to close in prayer.